This week on the NetApp Tech ONTAP podcast, we talk DevOps and NetApp private storage with NetApp 18 member Glenn Deckhazer of Red 8 and get a partner's perspective on where the industry is headed. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. I am Justin Parisi, and today I have two very special guests. They're both Glens. Yeah, this is going to be super confusing for the listeners, but that's okay because uh, it's you talking to me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking to the Glen. Well, I don't think it's going to be that confusing <laughs> for listeners. Spell it right? Yeah, he even spells it. He right. does. It's, it's perfect. Well, it's not going to be that confusing for listeners because all we have, all they have to remember is Glen. Yeah, there you go. Everyone's glad. Yeah. One of us got the answer. A- Andrew is not here today. He is out traveling, out and about, talking about containers and all that goodness there because he's very popular. Um, yeah, he's down, in, uh, he's down in Austin. He is. Uh, probably eating some delicious us. barbecue. So today we're going to talk about uh, DevOps, and we're also going to talk a little bit about NetApp Private Storage with Glenn Deckhazer. Um, he is a, uh, a, he's, he's a partner with Red 8. And Glenn, tell us a little bit about what you do and what Red 8 does. Well, you know, Red 8's one of the NetApp Stark partners. We've been kind of a very loyal NetApp partner uh, for, I guess, going on 13, 14 years. And uh, I actually came over as part of an acquisition of another company uh, that had been doing NetApp since 96. So I've been kind of a longtime NetApp advocate. Um, one of the first, uh, uh, I guess, the long running guys who remember putting in F220s uh, pre SIFS days. So. Uh, it's been a long journey with NetApp, and I'm still uh, I'm still fighting the good fight. Excellent. So, what does Red Eight do? So, Red Eight is a systems integrator. Uh, we um, among besides NetApp, we we do integrate other storage platforms and and compute. Uh, big Cisco partner, a lot of big great virtualization practice, great security practice. But we basically integrate these solutions and solve customer problems, uh, uh, both from a selling the hardware perspective as well as a uh, uh, delivering the full solution, including services, uh, in, implementation, project management, the works. And uh, uh, we're also, as part of a holding company, have a, a financial arm on the side of us that we provide all sorts of financial arrangements to consume uh, this great uh, technology that we keep talking about. So working with Red 8, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of trends in the industry. What are some of the biggest trends you're seeing, and where do you think the industry is going as a whole? Well, I mean, not not to get all buzzwordy on you, but you know, the, no, get uh, buzzwordy, please. I'll get buzzwordy. Well, I mean, I I, I had I had an opportunity to to speak to uh, a large group of uh, CIOs uh, for a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago. I won't discuss where, but um, you know, we, we talk about the you know the DevOps buzzword. People talking about bimodal IT. Uh, this is stuff that is not buzzwords to them. They they are they are living this. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, you know, in a very real way. Um, it, it really just goes to uh, you know transforming into digital businesses, trying to disrupt themselves before they get disrupted by other companies like an Uber. Uh, so uh, it, it's a major effort. That's what CIOs are thinking about. They're not really thinking about technology. All these things that we talk about, uh, interestingly, uh, over a three-day period, talking to these folks, I don't think I ever heard the word DevOps, cloud, or infrastructure once, uh, which is kind of interesting. So really, those, those are just means to an end, right? But we're, we are a couple layers down, and most of us are dealing with um, IT operations, IT architecture folks, you know, because that's what we do. So, you know, we're trying to deliver uh, and help our customers deliver on the promise of helping that CIO transform through enabling the process of DevOps, which is really, uh, it's, it's a journey more than it is a destination, but it's, it's this idea that, you know, developers can, uh, not have to rely on you know, IT operations to deliver on you know, the, the the resources they need to get their jobs done to to, to deploy and and, and uh, really uh, rapidly uh, uh, adapt and 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 change their their applications, patch them, you know, create new functionality and and basically build many many times a day. Uh, where in the past they would have to ask for resources with every time they needed to do anything, and and it was a big mess. And so uh, that's the goal. And and. Uh, the CIOs need this in order to be able to transform fast enough. Because if they don't, they feel that they don't transform fast enough. 
Um, they're going to be left out in the dust. The business will suffer, um, and the competitors will basically just uh, run over them. So uh, it, it's a challenge. So it's, it's a, it is a very big business problem. It's not a, tech, a technical problem. So uh, so what we're trying to do is, is have those kind of conversations and see how we can help CIOs and uh, and you know whether and CTOs. IT operations folks help deliver those types of services to their applications groups and developer groups uh, to enable this transformation, and that's what they're asking for. Uh, and if you're not on, if you don't have that as uh, part of your mission, uh, if as a VAR community or systems integrator community, um, you're doing things the old way, and you will get, you know, you'll you'll get disrupted. So. So along those lines, Glenn, uh, you know, where, where where would you give us, you know, a uh, kind of health card, if you will, uh, get, go ahead and give us a quarterly update. Like where the customers that you interact with, you know, where, where are they in that transition? Where are they in that evolution? Uh, and, and, and what's the big challenge? You know, wh- well, what are they fighting against? They're actually a lot farther along than you think, uh, because they, because they are finding ways to get this done through cloud services, SaaS services, um, you know, the open source stuff. Uh, I was actually very surprised uh, in, in hearing uh, the robust ways in which these guys are delivering on the bimodal approach uh, to transformation where, you know, you have this new innovative fail fast group that has resources all on their own. They still interface with the older traditional business group, but, you know, they don't share resources because that doesn't work. But they do they, they do actually communicate with each other through sometimes an API, Right, they actually. I see a lot of these organizations yeah. developing their own internal APIs to abstract all of the services that they're consuming from outside sources, whether it's data sources or or SaaS applications or whatever. And I was I was very surprised to see how how mature some of these practices are already become because they have developed in this second mode that they're this transformation mode that they're in. They've developed the ability to to produce these APIs, these 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 software functionalities very quickly. Uh, and uh, I was very impressed. I, I, I have to be, and the CIOs that I've been speaking to, they actually are well versed in this stuff. You know, people, you know, sometimes have, over the years kind of given CIOs a bad rap sometimes. These guys are right on the ball that I was talking to. And they're, they are business transformers. They're no longer just guys who are, you know, hold, you know managing contracts and, and kicking vendors out, right? So, um, so it's, uh, it, I was very impressed with the guys I was talking to, I was talking to and, um, I think uh, it's going to take some time for the Varn Systems Integrator community to really catch up to deliver some of those capabilities. Now, a lot of them are being delivered by the cloud. I see a lot of companies now looking to bring some of that stuff back in on-prem, not just because of um, – it's, it's not just about uh, agility and stuff, but it's also about cost management. So you know, cloud is not going to be cheaper than doing it on-prem. I think that economics has been, has been discovered. But uh, cloud gives you – uh, capabilities that you can't do with on-prem from an elasticity perspective. Not everybody needs yeah. elasticity. So we're finding this dynamic playing out. Um, none of this, you know, has anything to do with DevOps, though, right? Um, it, DevOps is something completely different. Uh, that, uh, it, that That's just a, a, the relationship between development and operations, obviously, that, that tries to get them separated, but uh, and uh, the development not reliant on operations to get things done. Uh, that's a different conversation than a lot of the CIOs are having with also things like, you know, cloud consumption, on-prem, private cloud, things like that. That's not being done just for DevOps. It's being done uh, to manage costs, to, uh, to, be, uh, to be more flexible uh, delivering production applications, which aren't always uh, uh, delivered in a DevOps mentality, right? So there's still a lot of the old way going on, even in some of the transformative uh, uh, processes. But uh, it... Everything has changed. If you look at if you look at the way businesses run today, the digital businesses run today versus ten, fifteen years ago, uh, it's it's almost unrecognizable. I mean, the, the capabilities now uh, with with all the stuff that's going on. I mean, you just look at the open source community around containers um, oh, and how many different names of not just packages but services and and micro packages, and it's just crazy. Uh, I was just learning about uh, Kubernetes today. And it's like, uh, I'm looking at that. I'm like, wow, that sounds a lot like uh, a lot of the other stuff, but it's uh, okay. Yeah. I see how it's different by it. It's just slightly different here. And, you know, there's so many different frameworks and I mean, how many different programming languages do we have today? It's gotten crazy. Uh, when you look at 10, 15 years ago, you know, people were developing in, you know, RPG, .NET and uh, what C++, right? I mean, that was, it was easy back then <laughs> or Java, right? So yeah. things of all, it, it's just gotten to be a weird world out there. And, uh, 
it'd be interesting to see how it all settles down over the, you know, I would like I would like to see things consolidate in that world because it's it's, it's impossible to keep up with it. I mean, how are you supposed to uh, know what to learn as you're as you're coming out of college today? I mean, you, you pick a platform it may not even be used in two years. You know, they go to something else. So uh, it, it's an interesting world. But uh, from from that perspective, one constant there's a couple of constants across all this stuff. Number one, data will be the constant, right? No matter all these different things going around, how many different ways you can talk about it, ultimately we're using data. We're bringing data in, we're adding value to it through applications and processes, and we're creating information that the businesses can use to do what they need to do to raise top line revenue, reduce bottom line costs, right? That's, that's ultimately, that's what we did. That's what it's coming down to. Um, so data has to sit someplace, and so there will always be a market for storage. Uh, it's just a question of how it gets consumed, both physically and financially, will be really, that, that's the big unknown right now. Yeah. So along those lines, um, and, and, and to, to wrap back around, uh, play a little bit of acronym police, uh, you brought up a couple of terms there that, that, uh, I, th I feel are worth defining, uh, for the listeners who perhaps are, this is the first time they've heard them. Uh, the, the first one is just by model it. Can, can, can you give us a, an, a brief overview to what that means to you and the, and the customers that you interact with? Well, by model it. Okay. So we're, a traditional business, right, it sits there. It's called that mode one. So the traditional business uh, would be, um, you know, uh, you're, uh, let, let's say you're a hypothetical limo company, right? You have a limo business and you've got drivers and you take phone calls and you take appointments. You go pick people up at the airport. And that's your traditional yeah. business. You've been doing that for 20 years. Uh, now uh, you decide that you're going to go, you know, you, this is, let's say this is 10 years ago. And um, this, is, this is, of course, a fictional story. But let's just say that uh, you, you feel that there's a better way to do this. Uh, so you hire some people uh, to think about. you got a couple of developers, a couple of business folks, maybe a couple of sales and marketing folks. And you kind of start this subsidiary of your, of your own company. And you stick them in another location. Um, and you tell them, go figure out ways to, to you know, do this business differently. Or find, you know, find me new markets. Find, find a way to, 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 change, to change the way I do business because I think – Someday someone's going to ruin the, limo, the limousine business, right? Which, of course, has happened, right? So, yeah. uh, and so these guys come up, and let's just say it's before Uber obviously existed, and they come up and they develop. They, uh, that, that, that second location would be mode two. So mode one would be the limo business that you had. Mode two would be this other group that you have that doesn't drive. They don't, they're, not taking, they, they're not bothered by the – or they're not encumbered by, you know, the processes and the and, and trying to drive business or create revenue from the, the mode one. So mode two, these guys are free to go innovate, discover, invent, fail fast, right? That's the, you know, that's the, that's the favorite term, right? Fail fast. Um, and, and, and that's where DevOps really comes into play because they're going to need an environment where they can create fast, destroy fast, and if they, if they had to rely on their old IT, let's say of the old limo company, that would never work. Right? The, old, the, the, old, the, the old IT, the old limo company, wasn't built to do that kind of stuff. They just, they're just keeping the lights on. They're, you know, they're managing their, their limo application, their reservation application, you know, maybe some other uh, financial stuff. And, but they're not, they're not going to be able to provide a development environment in five different test cases. Right? They're not going to be able to go throw you know, web servers in three different geolocations and to do what they've got to do to manage you know, maybe ride reservations in China. Right? They're not built for that. So, uh, and also, they may not want to do that. They need to, they need to know whether or not this is going to work or not, do A-B testing, all that kind of great stuff. So this second business is mode two. And then the idea is that mode two starts generating its own revenue, gets bigger and bigger, and eventually disrupts mode one. And then you, but by that point, you can either sell off mode one or just get out of it you know, altogether because uh, you've disrupted that business. And now you've disrupted not only your mode one, but every other limo company in the world because of what you just did in mode two. Now, that would have been a nice story if that's what Uber did, but Uber did it outside of the industry completely. So, um, but that, that's, a gen, that, that's what bimodal IT is. The idea is it's very hard to transform in place. Yeah, so, so to, to, to bring that concept back into IT, you've got your traditional enterprise IT help desk and, and systems, you know, operations teams that, that have existed for, at this point, probably 20 years. And their way of doing things probably has not changed very much recently. However, in a lot of the customers that we interact with, there's like a second IT shop that, that is worrying about these, 
these CICD problems and and this this next generation fail fast men, men, mentality, and it's very much under the guise of of what you just described, Glenn. Like if if this theory holds, right? If if this really does prove to be that magic bullet that that helps us get over the hump and and make the chasm easier to to, to jump, um, then then we're ready to just make that switch once the the processes mature. The funny thing is, is that uh, in some of these organizations, that second mode started as a bad word called shadow IT. I know. So, isn't that hilarious? How that's right, just so, come yeah. full circle. It's got, yeah. And, and so some places are now saying, you know, shadow IT maybe wasn't such a bad idea because, you know, the need existed. Uh, you know, someone with a credit card went and, 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 you know, my IT department couldn't deliver on the, on the agility I needed to do what I needed to do and to get this capability going. I had guys who knew open source stuff who could, you know, who could orchestrate, who could automate and, uh, and, you know, continue to build containers and, and, and go nuts and, and do what they need to do to deliver. And they just totally bypassed operations. Ooh, look at that. Well, now they've developed a kind of their own their kind of shadow operations group. Well, sometimes, you know, some people are saying, you know what, let's just fund that and, and, and build that outside of the IT department. And then the guys in the old ops you know, group are kind of, you know, they, they kind of see the, 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 the train is coming and, uh, you know, you better get off the tracks, right? So um, it's important for people to start, you know, learning about these technologies, about these capabilities, because uh, I think in the future, you know, you go five, ten years down the road, um, if you don't know how to code uh, and, and deliver infrastructure as code, I mean, Cisco's gone there, VMware has gone there, uh, you know, obviously everything in open source and in, in, in uh, the open stack world is all that. Um, if you're not, if you don't figure out how to do infrastructure as code, um, you're not going to be in this business for long. Uh, you're going to be doing, maybe you'll be managing desktops, maybe. Uh, so... It, it's going to be a tough world for if you can't, you're going to have to adapt. And it's going to be, most people I know, I mean, I, I'd say the CIOs I talked to, maybe 30, 35% of people they thought would be able to, uh, you know, come along to this new world, which I thought was, that's a big number uh, of people. So uh, keep in mind, old guys coming out of college, they all know how to code. You know, all these guys, if you're getting into IT now, you're coding. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you, you know, transform or die, you know, that's how it's going to work. Well, yeah, along yeah. with along with that, I mean, you said something else that kind of stuck out to me. You know, the guys saying no to to helping out with the the automation and somebody going around them and figuring it out on their own. That's the danger of saying no: is that someone else is going to do it for you, and then you are no longer necessary, right? <laughs> well, sometimes you can't say yes. I mean, the, the reality—it's not necessarily the person that's the problem, right? I mean, t keeping the lights on—it, it, you know, enterprise IT, right? I mean, you, you bring up the old ERP systems, right, and the old CRM systems. These things are big, huge, you know, beasts that need to be fed and cared for and patched. And there's huge development groups around them, and um, you know, there's a lot of IT money that gets spent towards keeping these things up to date and uh, and running companies. Uh, and there's also, you know, just the infrastructure. Uh, for just dealing with networks and security and all this kind of stuff. So you know, to, to ask the same set of people to now deliver a business transformative process by which you can deliver, uh, you know, a platform as a service to developers to just be able to do what they need to do and, and, and be rapid, it's a, it's a tall order. So I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to ask people to do that. But that's why, and that's why bimodal is a necessary thing because if you don't do it, out, it, it you can't expect people who are, you know, being pulled 5,000 different directions to, you know, drop what they're doing and learn all this stuff. Cause it, a lot of it's, you know, a complete change from what the way they're doing things now. It's new technologies, it's new concepts. So it, it and for organizations, it's going to be easier just to bring on a team outside a separate team and, and make the investment and, and transform that way. And then hopefully be able to bring people along into that second mode uh, as they can come. And, you know, those people that, that can make the transition over time will. And those that can't will be left with the first mode and, and whatever happens to them happens to them. But uh, that's how it's going to end up happening over the next five, ten years. So it's not, this isn't a, it's not a technology pro problem and it's not necessarily a people problem. Uh, it, it's, it's an overall resource management issue, how, how, you, how you manage the resources through the transition. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how this plays out over the next few years. The enterprises, the biggest enterprises are already, you know, they're already down the road. I mean... Uh, on this thing, and we'll start seeing you know organizations get you know the smaller organizations as you go down to the Fortune 5,000, 10,000, uh, start to you know perform these kinds of transitions as lessons are learned and things like that. But uh, like I said, the CIOs I was talking to, I was very impressed with a lot of the capabilities some of these companies were coming out with. Well, I mean, it's a slippery slope, right? I mean, you 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 spoke to it a little bit there, where 
the guys are trying to catch up. But in the, at the same time, they need to learn this new technology. They need to learn how to code. They can't because they're trying to catch up. And it's it's just this constant cycle of not being mm. able to catch up. And then the the work they could be doing to automate it would allow them to catch up. So there's that challenge. And the other challenge is the resistance to change. The the inability or the the absolute just I'm not gonna change mentality that you you see sometimes with these guys because that's that's a that's a kind of a characteristic of IT guys that I've experienced in the past. That's yeah. a characteristic that's gonna die because those people aren't it's gonna, gonna have be in this to. business much longer. It's no. gonna have to, absolutely. But I mean, you know, w- will that characteristic carry over when the next technology comes around? Yeah, you're gonna have to be I mean, if you're gonna survive in this business and and, that, and I don't necessarily think that this is a, a different scenario than it ever has been. The people who are successful in this business do not leave IT at work. They go home. You know, they'll they'll have fun. They you know they do what they're going to do for a hobby. But sometimes their hobby is you know they have a, a home lab. They're learning new technologies. They're reading. They're consuming information. You know, whenever they can, because uh, you know you go a month without you know learning something new in IT, you're done. So. Uh, and that's going to be the case here. I mean, I think those those same type of people who are who who have fun and enjoy consuming technology, learning it, um, and, and being able to deliver uh, new and innovative ideas to the businesses, those are the people that are going to survive in this business. They always have, right? Uh, yeah, and, you know, exactly. And we, we're, you know, the three of us on the on, on this call are kind of like that. And most of the people I deal with, it, you know, at NetApp and and the guys that work for, with us for Red Eight are all like that. Uh, but you know, you, you run into people who work at organizations that aren't that that, that come in and uh, they, they treat it like just a job, and then they go home and they never want to touch a computer or, or do any any uh, advancement when they're home. Well, you know that's fine for now, but you know at some point it's going to come back to bite you. You got to ha- you have to invest in yourself because uh, no one else is necessarily going to do it. I mean, you're, sometimes you'll get a lucky employer who will let you spend work time and training, and uh, but you know the best training is the stuff you give yourself and it, it's self paced. Uh, and there's so many options out there now to do it and so much information to consume. Sometimes the problem is, where do, you know, there's almost too much. It's like it's overwhelming. Where do I start? But uh, the trick is you have to start someplace and just pick something, right? And, you know, throw a dart and learn that and then go from there and see where it gets you. But uh, you got you to – anybody who does not know how to code uh, at all or, you know, wants to start learning the, the, the infrastructure to code stuff, you know, start looking at OpenStack. You know, look at Kubernetes. Look at Look at Docker. Docker is probably a great way to start. You could load it on your laptop. Um, so you just got to get started somewhere because uh, if you don't soon, it's it's going to come back to bite you. So along those lines, uh, for the organizations that 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 have you know, the, as we've discussed, you know, they they're they're you know investing in this bimodal model and and they're starting to reach forward. Uh, you mentioned at the top of the interview, Glenn, uh, that that one of the big challenges uh, is is data itself, uh, particularly yeah. when you start to deal with. Uh, these self-enablement worlds, you know, where a developer can just come in the front door with with a product owner and an idea and just start building stuff and see where it goes. Um, how how are you guys dealing with that at Red Eight? What what are some of the the tools that you're using with customers to 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 make this manageable? Well, if it, on an if if I'm dealing with a completely on-prem customer, which these are getting fewer in number, obviously, uh, you know, our NetApp customers are already enjoy that with things like FlexClone. It's easy to deal with that. Um, and uh, what we've done in the past is, um, is we've leveraged NetApp DR environments, right, where we've taken uh, SnapMirror destinations and FlexCloned those uh, data sets and if they're SQL or whatever, mounted those to application servers, or database servers, and presented them and get value out of their disaster recovery sites, right? And that was pretty cool uh, doing this. And that's a traditional way to do that. But yeah. now the people, but, you know, most companies now are looking to leverage cloud environments for things like their DevOps capability because they don't, you know, it, I remember a couple of years ago I was at Insight and I think it was uh, Dave Hitz that was up there saying that uh, Dell and HP had this real big problem with taking back servers once you deploy them. So I thought it was kind of a funny line when he said it. But, you know, the idea of being able to throw something up and bring it down, you know, and to, to try and fail fast, it, it doesn't lend itself well to an on-prem. Uh, you'd have to keep this enormous capability on, on that might stay unused. People don't like that uh, uh, on-prem. So the cloud use case really plays to that. So to build servers and, and, and especially automate the building of servers and the provisioning of applications in those servers and all that kind of great stuff, it's wonderful. The problem is usually you're working on a data set that you want to have uh, some data set that represents reality. And in order to do that, you need to move that data set from your production world into this development world. 
in some sort of automated fashion. So how do you do that? I mean, if you've got a one or two gig data set, that's not a problem. I can, you know, when I build my servers up in the cloud, I automate it, you know, I, I, I go to my portal, I click my button, okay, there's my, there's my build. And I can, you know, at that point, if it's only one or two gig, I can on demand snap mirror that up into say a cloud on tap instance, right? That would be great. Yeah. Um, the problem is what if that two gigabytes, two gigabytes rather is uh, two terabytes? All of a sudden that on demand is uh, not so on demand. So anyway, two terabytes, you can pack a few lunches before that thing will be finished replicating. That's a problem. So how do I deal with that? Well, the answer to that was NetApp Private Storage, right? So I could have a, uh, my SnapMirror always going to NetApp Private Storage, uh, which is storage that I owned as the customer. I could stick it up in Equinix or one of these co-location facilities. It's up all the time, and uh, I can then use that data set, clone it, mount it, and away I go. Uh, well, that's great, and, and that works very well. Um, you know, from a financial con- you know, consumption model perspective, it's challenging because I have to figure out, first of all, I have to buy my NetApp, either buy it or lease it as I would something on-prem. It, I own it. Uh, so there's that process of procurement. There is the, uh, you know, now I have to go find a partner or find my own contract agreement with Equinix or the co-location provider that will allow me to put that NetApp in there and have, uh, you know, proximity to the hyperscaler of my choice, whether it's Amazon, Azure, or SoftLayer, or whoever. And then I have to go do all of the connections between that co-location facility and, you know, Amazon, whether it's Direct Connect, the Azure, uh, you know, equivalent or whatever. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of complexity. The partner, you have to find a partner basically to do all this for you. Um, it, it, and that's not cheap either, right? So, uh, yeah. and, and again, I don't, want, I don't want to focus on the cheap part of it because no matter how you slice it, Cloud will never be cheaper than doing things on-prem, uh, but that's you know it's not about the cheap part of it. It's not about the, the you know the, the, that level of finance. It's a, it's about the ability to 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 blow up my compute and destroy it at will. So I but I need some place for my data to sit. So um, there is a development on this. So uh, Faction, who has been a partner of NetApp for as long as I can remember. Uh, they and they they provide essentially FlexPod as a service and tied their own organization with vCloud capabilities, right? So they have you know Cisco UCS, they've got uh, the you know the NetApp C dot all over the place, and uh, and they and uh, you know their regular service allows them to do vClouds. Uh, and right now we can show it through Faction. Um, there's a rumor that there will be a better, uh, more widespread uh, consumption model or purchase model. Um, possibly through uh, NetApp, but we're not sure about that yet. Uh, yes, yeah, so watch watch that space. Definitely, definitely sh- things going on. Yes, uh, you know, can neither confirm nor deny the stuff going on there. But uh, certainly today, this is available today through uh, Faction Partners, of which Red Eight happens to be one. But uh, what they have basically done is they've taken all the work out of this. They 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 have uh, their own consumption model with NetApp, so they provided NetApps in Equinix. At, you know, in the same manner that an NPS normally would be, they've done all the hard work of uh, getting it in the co-location facility, getting it wired up, cabled up into the into the, into the infrastructure for AWS and Azure, um, and have provided a very easy way to consume that on a per terabyte basis, so that you can now buy storage in this environment, which is currently limited to flash pool, uh, flash pool enabled SATA. Uh, so, you know, we're not, we're not looking at, you know, SSD, you know, hundreds of thousands of IOPS sub one, mil, sub one millisecond stuff. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being able to, to put data sets up there in a persistent way uh, through, you know, snap mirror from your on-prem or wherever and connecting that data set just like you would with NPS over direct connect to your ephemeral server uh, uh, compute farms in, in Amazon or Azure which is the whole entire value proposition of NPS, but now I can pay for it on an OPEX. And they, you know, they'll be doing month-to-month and yearly contracts, so uh, makes it, it's completely OPEX, right? So you're getting the cloud economics of something you'd normally have to CapEx, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a cool way to, to, to consume this storage. Uh, you're, you're taking it out of uh, cloud custody, and it's still on your custody storage. You're getting your own SVM, so you're in a secure multi-tenant environment. Um, from a perspective of management, for now, Faction will be doing all of the NetApp management for you, 
which means that you will, you know, you basically just send in a support ticket or service ticket, uh, and they will do all the SnapMirror stuff, all the snapshot scheduling, volume creation, things like that. But uh, which could be good or bad, right? I mean, that's actually from a cloud perspective. Uh, I don't want to add more burden onto my operations team. I don't want to give them another NetApp to manage. Good, no problem. Faction's going to manage yeah. it for you. Um, I I think they are will be working on some portals uh, to to help you with that, but that's a future thing. Uh, but the but the cool thing is, is I find this to be the great the, the great middle ground between cloud on tap, uh, which does not lend itself well to persistent, uh, you know, a hundred percent persistent model, right? Because of the expense of it from Amazon, uh, and NPS, which requires a actual procurement of hardware and contractual arrangements, right? With this, you're just going to you know order a couple of capacity a quantity of a certain SKU, you'll get some paperwork three to five days after the paperwork is done, boom, you're ready to go and consume. Uh, and, and so, uh, and I think it's also a lot more flexible because, um, you know, faction isn't really advertising this, but there's no reason to say that you can't connect that storage as well into factions VM form, right. To do other things. So it's not just Amazon and, and AWS, but that's how it's being positioned for now. Uh, anything else that, that any, any other gravy you get out of there from, from partner with faction is, 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 uh, is great. So let, 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 for instance, they could snap mirror your loads into their, uh, internal NetApp farm for uh, additional backup or to another NPS as a service instance in another data center. So you can actually do DR of your DevOps environment, you know, so you could mirror the regional redundancy that you would get out of Amazon, for instance, right? So let's say, you you, you know, your servers are going to be in two different regions. You can have your NPS as a service in two different regions as well. So it's cool stuff. Um, I think it's, I, I think it needed to happen. I think this is going to be, th this could be the thing that helps break the log jam uh, that has been uh, NPS adoption which is a great idea, but the reality is that uh, a lot of companies just haven't, they, 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 I think it was too difficult for them, for all the different contractual arrangements to integrate all this different stuff together. And so yeah. they just decided to keep it on-prem. This really, I think, is the blending of lots of uh, you know, good ideas. There's no new technology here. That's the, that's the thing. It's, it's the same technology that we know and love. It's CDOT, it's, you know, it, it's Amazon, it's Direct Connect, it's the same thing. It's just they figured out a way to deliver it in a consumption model that I think makes some business sense for people actually trying to put data sets up there persistently for DevOps purposes, which it's been very hard to do. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that, right? That, that, that I can remember all the way back to when we first did the first MPS prototype, you know, that the, we had all these questions in the back of our minds about how customers, you know, could use this and, and what they would be interested in. You know, you, it, it was interesting for me listening to your, your, your def explanation of, of why this was important. You know, some of the points that you brought up about, you know, this isn't about high performance. You know, that was one of the questions that we had, you know, was do customers actually demand a more high performance tier than what's available through the cloud providers today? Because we could do that through NPS, right? Mm -hmm. um, th th there was a lot of things that, 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 that quite frankly, we didn't really have answers to. Uh, we had a lot of ideas and a lot of feedback, but you know the the, the real way that you judge something is through revenue, right? <laughs> because that that's where that's the market communicating with you and telling you what it actually needs, not what it wants or not what it thinks is cool, but what it requires yep. to get things done. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so so you know. That being said, there will be other offerings within this space that will give you a more dedicated uh, uh, dedicated instances. For instance, your own controllers, right? So your own controllers and storage, they'll be like a, a you know very high and you know extra large type of situation yeah. you'll be able to get. Well, and, and and they are currently, you know, faction will will do that now if that's what you. But it'll be kind of an, a one-off type of situation. But those will be standardized offerings, as I understand it, going forward. Um, one thing to be aware of, though, is that you know for now we are limited to uh, NFS and iSCSI uh, protocols. Uh, for this service, so which is you know for most DevOps services is fine. It's all Linux anyway, right? So uh, and iSCSI could be fine for if you're doing like SQL Server stuff, um, any kind of Windows related stuff. I think that makes more sense for that for, for that world. Um, so uh, I do understand that uh, you know SIFs will be coming in a future ONTAP release. There are some things from a management perspective that have to get uh, get uh, kind of tied up, but uh, it is coming. I just want to say I resent the implication that NFS is a limitation of any sort. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, well, you know, sorry, Justin. You know, Come on, man. I, I had to give it to you. Well, you know, look, 
I'm an old Windows guy, but uh, I, I respect. Look, I'm a VMware of an NFS uh, zealot, so you, you, you had you had me at VMware. All right, there we go. You're redeemed. But, no, I appreciate. That. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, pr- pr- protocols and, imp- and implementation aside, uh, the kind of wrapping up my previous thought, uh, and, th- and then we can uh, transition onto additional thoughts, but. I think it's an important point, right, that, that, that the thing of value here, or, or at least we're asserting that we believe the thing of value, because nobody really knows, right? We'll, we'll all know together 20 years from now when we can write the books with, with hindsight. Um, but today, the thing that appears to be of true value is, is the CICD movement, right? It's focusing on the ability to change, uh, the ability to get things done. Uh, th- that is actually moving the needle in a pretty big way. The financial stuff, which is what people like to bring up with cloud, is absolutely real, and that's pressure, and everyone's dealing with it. But, but as you've already kind of pointed out here, Glenn, there's a million ways that we can solve that. And as an industry, we're pursuing them all in parallel. And, and I just feel like that problem is going to get moved away. The technology problems, as you said, have largely already been solved, right? We're, we're using existing technology, existing protocols. These are workflows. This is very much derivative work where we're perfecting things that were, you know, first dreamed of 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, look, ultimately the change, if we're in this business to provide value to organizations, and you can only do that if what you are offering is in line with what it is they're trying to do. And right now, it's about transformation. And, and, and if you're not in line with that, you're not in line with your customers. You're not in line with your own industry. So we've had, I think NetApp has historically uh, provided transformative technology for companies uh, in, in the different phases of transformation over the, since 91, since you know, the first version of ONTAP. You know, being able to be you know, flexible across protocols, you know, across performance uh, profiles, uh, this is something they've done forever. Um, now that you know, the type of transformation now is is, is a little bit different. Uh, it, I think NetApp got lucky that a lot of the technology that they already owned and, and had perfected over the years plays well in some of these environments when deployed in certain ways, when used in certain ways. Uh, but you know, at this point, the problem isn't the technology; it's how it's you know how you get there. How do you consume it? How do I get it to fit into the models that are being created today, as opposed to the ones that created that that, that were around yesterday? And so that's why things like this NPS as a service, it, it's not something that's like this grand, great idea This oh, my God, let's patent this. And, you know, this, this is just simply somebody saying, OK, look, here's the problems my customers have with, with you know, their data and, and trying and try in a transformative process, creating DevOps environments or just even consuming cloud at all. Uh, you know, how am I managing my data? Uh, you know, why, why should I have a separate data, tra- data management uh, process and procedure, because uh, again, it's not just getting the data there. It's you know I have to manage that data. I have to keep it compliant. I have to back it up. I have to retain it. I have to get rid of it when I need to. So that's why you know I've always kind of looked at NetApp Commvault as the kind of the pair of technologies together uh, to solve all these problems together. Uh, and and so I always use those as I, I try to solve all my problems with them first until I know I can't. And so very few times I can't. Uh, and in this particular case, with NPS as a service, it's it's a way to, that I could use this net this flexible NetApp technology in this transformative way, uh, and consume it in a way that makes sense for this particular transformative use case. So I, I think that you know these guys finally got uh, got really great people behind this program and and got a great idea. And uh, I, I would suspect in the past they would have gotten a lot of flack or or pushback for pushing something like this. But I think uh, people are starting starting to finally realize, look, if we don't get with our customers and how they do business, uh, we're not going to do business with them. And uh, that's why I think this is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, de- de- definitely exciting for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll have to check in and, and see where that moves uh, and, and uh, maybe get them in here in a little bit. Yeah, see how uh, it's well, going for yeah, yeah Luke, Luke is a great guy. You get him in there. He's, he, he's, a, he's a funny guy to talk to. He knows his stuff. So, Glenn, you know, that was a really excellent summary of, you know, net private storage and, and the dev, DevOps mentality. One thing we have not touched on, and I think it's probably a, a critical part of why you are a part of this podcast, as well as just a NetApp advocate in general, is that you are a member of the elite club, the NetApp A-team. Dun, 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 bah, 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 bah. Oh, boy. 
we can't actually play the song because it's copyrighted and we don't yeah, have tried. royalties. They said we did. no. They, so said that's no. All they actually told us no. I, I, think, I think just humming it, you may owe them a couple of bucks. It probably. <laughs> I think B.A. Baracus is breaking down my door right now. <laughs> so yeah. tell us a little bit about your experience with the A-Team, how you got started with it, and you know what, what your thoughts are on the A-Team and how they've improved the overall messaging of NetApp in general. Well, I mean... It really evolved into this big, wonderful monster. Um, sorry, Sam. It's it's, it's what I I feel. But um, you know, so Sam Moulton runs it, and she's been unreal uh, in in her advocacy of the advocates, uh, really of 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 making sure that uh, she's got a team of people who actually know what they're talking about. Um, uh, there there are guys on on this. Uh, there are a lot of doers on this team that that have uh, you know just done amazing implementations of, of, of CDOT, uh, NetApp technology over the years, but these are the guys that are, that are I think, uh, doing some of the most challenging NetApp work out there in the field, uh, running into the problems, and, and the A-Team has provided a forum for us to both share positive as well as negative experiences uh, and have an audience with people at NetApp that actually matter. You know, people who can get things done, who can affect change, so that they, so it's become a window to the real world uh, for many of the product managers, uh, the mar- product, you know, the, the TPMs, the uh, uh, the product marketing managers and stuff. So because they don't, you know, the, sometimes you get in some of these companies, people start to, you know, drink their own bathwater and believe all the goodness of what they're doing, but they don't realize what's happening on the street may not coincide with what's going on. So uh, the A team has become a fantastic way for NetApp to you know stay real right and and uh, and uh, there's certain there are certain members of our team who are more vocal about keeping things real than others and they definitely and, are and yeah. and you know who you are uh, <laughs> but uh, that's okay we, we love those people too uh, but um, you know it, it, you know we also it allows us to get access to the people that we need to talk to to not just let them know what's going on, but also to, you know, give them some ideas, you know, things that we think would work in the field from a technical perspective, from an offering perspective, things like that. And we get listened to. We get good good audiences with, with the right people. And uh, uh, it, it doesn't hurt that, uh, that you know, our, our presence at Insight is, is, is definitely felt. But, um, you know, and, and now with the acquisition of SolidFire, we got a couple people on the A-team, you know, that, that have joined uh, from the SolidFire team that we've been banging on. And, uh, they've been uh, uh, participating in some pretty rigorous debates uh, between. It was fun watching some of the back and forth between the CDOT and the, and the Solid Fire teams. Uh, but they were all one big happy family. But right now, uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, some of those things going on. We're like, just trying yeah. to understand each other. Yeah, it was like it's like you know you got stepbrothers. They're not. They haven't been adopted yet, right? But um, that's. But I guess the adoption has occurred. But just you know now it'll be a while before you share bedrooms. But, <laughs> uh, but How far can we stretch this analogy? Um, I can go pretty far to the point where it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> it's getting there. It's getting there. But uh, the, the solid fire thing—I mean, uh, I put a blog article out there a couple weeks ago that was uh, that w- I'm surprised it got retweeted as much as it did. Just explaining. Yeah, let's to, talk about that. Yeah, that, that, that was pretty that was popular. A really good post. Yeah, it was. Well, well, you know, there was some fud out there. I mean, you know, I have my own issues with tech rags, but. You know, people saying that, oh, they're going to buy Solid Fire and they're going to, you know, they're going to try to see dot, you know, stuff Solid Fire and on tap. And I'm just like, anybody, I mean, anybody who, had, who tried to make that assertion, uh, first of all, knows nothing about on tap. Uh, and then, and they're just, they just don't understand the, you know, the whole context of the whole acquisition. I mean, the complete, two diff- completely different architectures. Uh, yeah. It served sort of two, you know, the Solid Fire is a, is a you know, their, their strength is in service providers, right? That's what they do. And, uh, you know, they're great with OpenStack and uh, they've got a very uh, scale up, scale down. I mean, they got some pretty cool technology. And the more I learn about it, the more I'm very impressed with what these guys are able to do. Um, but at the same time, you know, they, they have the luxury of a, being a very small, uh, highly focused on one task group. And so uh, it's kind of what NetApp was when they were an NFS only, you know, group in 92, right? So, yeah, you can, you, you, you can take some liberties and you know, and and put some emphasis on things, and uh, and now that they're and they're they're within the NetApp fold, luckily NetApp is doing the right thing and keeping them somewhat of a separate group, and they're not going to be merging these technologies together. No, nobody's ever claimed that's going to happen. Um, uh, the, well, the nobody things, here, but externally, right, yes, no, right. Well, anybody externally that's doing that is is simply, uh, you know, 
why? Because when Spinnaker was bought, that's what they did. Spinnaker was bought for the purpose yeah. of integrating into ONTAP. They they needed the Spinnaker uh, technology in order to make clustered ONTAP. Well, that was well, the beyond, whole point. well, beyond that, they they ignore all the acquisitions after Spinnaker that have not really been you know swallowed up by the ONTAP model. You know, AltaVault, for example. Right. Well, I mean, we did put it on on the hardware, which is great, which is a good idea. That right. Makes... But we didn't we didn't ONTAPize it, right? Nope. Nope, but but the one thing that you can do, you can integrate at the edge of it, right? So instead of integrating like like a Spinnaker on tap, I mean, there should be some integration at the edge of it where we can do like the LRSE engine, where we can actually snap mar- snap mirror, snap vault, move data, and NetApp has put that out there, you know, clear as day that their platforms, if I'm storing data someplace, we want to be able to move data from platform to platform and as part of our as part of our data fabric vision. So I would expect that SolidFire will get some of that. Goodness, but the LRSE engine is a more open engine, right? Uh, so it shouldn't be that difficult for those guys to add that. And without changing the world, it's not going to change SolidFire. It's just going to it's just going to add one more logical replication engine. That's kind of what LRSE stands for, right? Uh, to to the mix. So it's not going to change their architecture at all. They're going to still do what they do well. OnTap Group's going to do what they do well, etc. And uh, that that's how it always was going to be. Uh, you know. Looking back at the Spinnaker acquisition, like I said, that was done with the purpose of integration, and they knew that was going to be a long time to happen. Uh, this is a different story. I mean, it, it always was, and it just bothers me when uh, you know people irresponsibly throw out opinion as fact and say, "Oh, well, this is going to be a terrible thing because they're going to, you know, NetApp's going to screw this up and they're going to, uh, you know, try to on tap solid fire." I mean, it was it kind of bothered me and it kind of inspired me to write that. It took me about maybe. I, I maybe eleven minutes to write that blog article, but it was kind of a stream of consciousness writing. But I'm, I'm just surprised it made. Uh, You're like the James sense. Joyce of blogs. <laughs> you know, I, I'll I'll go ahead and agree with you, Glenn, because I've I've had a lot of very similar conversations with peers throughout the industry uh, over the past you know month and a half, where just a lot of people who are, who who are making the same illogical jumps, and I'm just looking at them like, where did you come up with that? What makes you think that that would be like the the thing that I don't get it, but well, I mean, look, wait and NetApp, see, fellas. We'll show yeah. everybody well, in, in the yeah. dueness of time. In the psychology realm, it's known as cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance, yeah, because it's what you think it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 so look, it will be. Well, look, we just have to make sure we don't suffer from the same thing, right? You know, so uh, but yeah, that, and I think well that's, that's actually that's actually a lot of what the A team's about is you know making sure that NetApp doesn't suffer from that, and that's yeah. why they hear from us, and they hear a lot of a lot of stuff they don't want to hear, and uh, you know. Sam forces them to listen to it, which is yep. so she, she she deserves uh, she deserves a halo and wings. I tell you, she's a forceful presence for sure. Yes, yes, you don't mess with Sam. <laughs> no, you do not mess with Mama. <laughs> <laughs> but we all love her, so absolutely. So, so hi, Sam. Don't kill me later for anything I've said here. <laughs> All right, Glenn. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. You know, I had the, the the privilege there of doing that one interview with you at Insight US. It was the first opportunity I got to to, to actually meet you face to face. Yeah, it was uh, fun. and I came I came out of that going, I got to get this guy on the podcast. Man, this guy knows yeah, what he's I just, talking I, about. This, this time you got me without having two glasses of wine in me, which is actually even better. If you're interested, that that interview is actually up on techontappodcast.com. dot com. It's been isolated out into its own interview. Because the funny thing is, I wasn't really. I've done a lot of work since that last call, learning a lot more about DevOps than I knew then. So, um, so you know, much of that interview was was not from knowledge. A lot of it was from you know, picking it up. But uh, well, you, I learned a lesson. Yeah, you know what? Actually, but, but we, we are landing this ship, but, but let's go ahead and pull back on the stick a little bit and stay in the air just for another minute, because I think that's a valuable point that's worth actually addressing. Um, because I have a similar situation, right? I've been talking into this microphone for the past two years as this thing's evolved and as we're all trying through or learning through, you know, the, the cauldron of the real world and just trial and error, learning, you know, in, uh, out there with customers. And my own opinions on this have, have changed a little bit. They're being refined as I continue to learn. Uh, and and, and that, I think that's true for everybody. So, you know, d- don't feel bad if, if, if your opinion moves yeah. a little bit. It, that's oh. the reality of actually doing this and not just talking about it. If your opinion hasn't changed in a year and a half, you're not doing this. Yeah. You're just talking about it. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, I guess you're right, Glenn. Um, people 
people's opinions and, and definitions of words are going to change, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually changing, right? Words mean something, man. Yeah. They, they have definitions. Look them up before you use them. Some things just aren't defined. They're being defined as we go. And, you know, they're brand new words that didn't exist in their vernacular. You know, people are just creating That's definitions true. as they go. And, yeah, you're right. And what you're seeing right now is, is akin to what we're seeing with the overall DevOps movement. There's a lot of churn. There's a lot of competitors out there, and things are going to settle down, and then we'll have a concrete definition, and we'll have a concrete group of companies that are doing all this work for us. Speaking of which, we better uh, we we better go ahead and uh, land this thing and let Glenn to get get back to actually building that future. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, you know, if you if you want, check out our our blog that we post uh, every week for the podcast. We're going to be including some links to Glenn's blogs that he talked about on this podcast. We'll also um, have a section where you can uh, click on the link or the the mail to link to podcast at netapp.com if you have any questions about NetApp specific things, SolidFire specific things now that we've acquired SolidFire, or even things that Glenn talked about today. I mean, Glenn is a resource that we can ping. Um, the A team is a resource we can leverage. So, you know, be sure to get those questions in here and we'll get them answered for you on the podcast. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much for stopping by, and and you know, thank you more for being a, a genuinely good person to talk to here. Hey, anytime, guys. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team and uh, Glenn Deckhazer of Red 8, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. So, uh, guys, about that DevOps, do we have a new definition for it yet? Yeah, yeah, I just uh, I just created one. Um, my new net definition of DevOps is a diet Pepsi is with a splash of spice and oh, yeah. uh, some lemon. That's, that's a good definition. We're going to need our own DevOps to come up with the definitions of DevOps. I'm still trying to make Ops Ops a thing. <sighs> All right. Good job, ops, guys. Ops. I love that. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Glenn. Have a great day, uh, man. Ops uh, squared. See you guys. Ops squared. All right, guys. Appreciate it.